Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au Welcome to Crunch Time. Delicious, crunchy, new fried chicken by Red Rooster. Available at selected restaurants. The Rooster's Calling. Werribee, Western and Footscray Nissan dealerships stock the all-new Nissan Navara Pro 4X. Built tough. Quickly thrown up. Harms got hold of it. He was loose. The stoppage. He wheels around and kicks the goal. Utterly unmarked. Up goes Sparrow. Knocked down. Neil Bullen has shaped the kick, which has gone through. Off the outside of the boot. And the Demons getting some reward now. Pickett's loose here. The tap down almost went through from Radical. It's just madness from Geelong. Stolen by Petrarca. He should go. He does. Petrarca has a look deep and then goes shallow and blocks it to corner. It was touched on the way. The big Ruckman swings and goes. <laughs> Slapsy Maxi. That's magnificent. Viney out of the middle to Petrarca on the burst, steps back inside, gives it to Gord. Willie from 55, he will, he can, he does! Oh, Max has got an eye toward being the first premiership captain since Barras. Appetite for destruction, the D's, it's in quickly. McDonald to his own advantage, get the party started! Grabbed by Gord, he's done it again! He's kicked his fourth. <laughs> he has taken it to the absolute max. He might end the night as the mayor of Perth, Max Gordon, the way this is going. He's put through his fifth. This feels like Melbourne's time. A hell of a win for the Demons. They're into the grand final for the first time in 21 years. Oh, what glorious times lie ahead for the D supporters. It was terrific for our footy club, you know, it's, we've worked incredibly hard to, to be involved in these games and significant games and, you know, I sit here and I think of all our supporters back home, I think of all the times, hard times they've been through and, you know, we get an opportunity now to do something really special and, you know, we've earned that right and, you know, I think there's a level of excitement but there's a level of still, you know, a job to do and, um, you know, we'll progress that way. It was a night to make believers of even the most battle-scarred. One of the great preliminary final performances turned in by Melbourne. And in 57 years, the demon dream has never been closer to realisation. We revel with Max and his merry men. We've fallen short and it's a bit of pill to swallow. But our, our club has, over a long period of time, found a way to recover from difficult situations and... I think we're in that situation again where we've got a choice to make. We can roll over or we can take the time we need to regroup. We were pretty battered towards the end of the season, really, not just the last couple of weeks, but probably the six weeks leading into the into the final series. I'm proud of the way our guys endured and we just completely ran out of steam by tonight. Geelong completely obliterated in a game that felt like the end of days. After 15 seasons in constant contention, what do Chris Scott and the Cats do next? We've had the, the right build-up. We've earned the, the right to be where we are. We've um, worked really hard. We've trained really well in the last uh, you know, seven or eight days. and We know we've got a massive game to play and we've got a great, a great opponent to come up against, but we are a really well-prepared team. Boys are ready to play. This game is played 
absolutely through some strategy, definitely through talent, but definitely through emotion and psychology. And and I, I think uh, our boys have been in a really good spot all year, other than probably a few weeks just before the finals. Our experience this year is that we're we're definitely good enough, and and our boys will believe that going into Saturday night. And tonight, Port Adelaide and the Western Bulldogs meet for the right to face Melbourne in the Western Grand Final. The Dogs are up against it on every front, while Kenny's boys search for redemption a season on. This is the preliminary finals edition of Crunch Time. It is the Melbourne emotion that courses through the veins of this final series. And last night was pure exhilaration on so many fronts. A stronghold of support over in the West. And you didn't have to spend long peeking from behind the couch last night. And once the third quarter unfolded, the daring to dream will try to hold out against it now. Jared Waitley with you on Crunch Time. Justin Lepich is with me. Hello, dear Lepper. Hello, Jared. How about that for a night? Unbelievable. Oh, I guess unbelievable if you're a Melbourne supporter, Jared. Um, unfortunately for you and your Cats fans, it wasn't a great night. And, and the game was over pretty quick, which is not great. But I'll tell you what, that third quarter was probably what set the scene for the Melbourne Football Club. And they'd be pumped. I'm pumped for their supporters. It's been a long time to get to a grand final. But even further again, you know, from the, uh, from the big dance and winning it. Right up there with the very best preliminary final performances, the way that it unfolded. Oh, it was a smashing. It's funny, our first prelim final win at the Lions um, was very similar. We played Richmond at the Gabba and we won by about 70 or 80 points. So it was that anticipation of, oh, can we get to our first grand final in such a long period of time to it all really being done by half time uh, or just after. So it had a very similar feel to it, but hey, you'll take it. The strategy pieces are critical at this time of year. Craig Jennings, welcome. Great to be here. Lepa, you were just talking about them winning early. Um, I was sending messages out nine minutes into the game because obviously a lot of Melbourne friends, very nervous behind the couch, Jared, and there was just signs early in the game. Salem's playing in his own space, which was, um, I think, a bit of a disastrous tactic by Geelong personally. Geelong were fumbling the footy. Melbourne able to come out through the front of stoppages. Leper, we were talking that about that pre-show and I just thought Melbourne forwards were leading up outside 50, taking easy marks, which was giving them a good look inside 50 and, um, you know, Petraka's form, Gorn's form early. So it just looked like Melbourne um, really early in the game. They won it early, Jared. And Sam Edmund rounds out our quartet. Sam, it's sort of choose your own meme or gif. I particularly liked Geelong should have played Dan Andrews. He's the only one who knows how to shut down Melbourne. <laughs> That is good. That is right up there, Jared. That is right up there. Nope. Carry yeah. on. We'll get the microphone <laughs> Try. There you are. We might be back. No, no. no. <laughs> He's all good. Uh, what about the performance of Max Gorn, Lepper? Oh, it was unbelievable. I mean, I've never seen a Ruckman do what the, what he did. It was quite amazing. The I'm not sure... Picking Maxie's favourite goal. I don't know. I actually like the one on the run from 50 metres, even though the snaps were quite remarkable. So, uh, but yeah, what a performance from from a captain. Do you know what's amazing about that is Maxie was a very unreliable goal kicker and Greg Stafford, his ruck coach, took him under his wing in terms of goal kicking. And Greg Stafford's got one of the most accurate goal kicking records in the game. I think he's 250 goals for and about 50 behinds. And 
it's an area of the game that Maxie's worked really hard on. So we know Maxie's comedic genius, but remember last year, Jared, I said Maxie's the best player I've seen since Wayne Carey, which I copped some feedback on, and I did forget about Dusty Martin. But last night, I think, showed that he's a big occasion player, but also how much time and effort he got he, he spends behind the scenes working on his game and studying his game, and it came out with that five goals in about six minutes, Leper. He's um, the best player since Mason Cox, that much I am sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. Single quarters in preliminary finals. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, shout out to Mason, um, who ruined Richmond's life a few years ago. But, yeah, when it, it's probably the last time a big Ruckman's ripped the game away, isn't it? It, it doesn't often happen with the big men, but uh, you definitely did that. Sam, you with us? We're back. Well done. Ooh. We're here. I just think you have to admire what and marvel at what Melbourne have built. What a great list build it is. Speaking to other list managers across the competition this morning, they built from the middle out. And they were three years younger than Geelong on average last night, the youngest finals team in the competition at the moment. So what a great position they are in. You mentioned the gifts and the memes. They're doing the rounds thick and fast. Just on that bearded Ruckman, Max Gorn, Wikipedia pages, you've got to love the alterations that get made. The Geelong Football Club, this has since been amended. But the intro reads typically, Geelong Football Club nicknamed the Cats, insert a few sentences, and then they are currently owned by Max Gorn. <laughs> so um, he, it was stellar last night. What a performance. That, that third quarter, eight goals to nil, a burst. They kick goals in the first, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh, the twelfth, the fifteenth, the seventeenth minute, and then Cozzy Pickett in the 22nd. It's, it's very rare you come. That, that's the best quarter of the season. It's very hard doing special comments when there's nothing really <laughs> happening between goals and you've got 30 seconds to speak. It's like, oh, well, I guess that's just another center square bounce goal. Um, it was, and, and the way they, and we spoke about it briefly, exploded from stoppage. Melbourne's system from getting to the inside of the contest into almost that second ring of the contest, then into the third ring, which is the outside where you score generally or defend your score. They've just got all phases of that. Just Their system in doing that is so good. A lot of teams often have too many players at the ball and not enough on the outside or too many on the outside and not enough on the inside. Their balance in how they do that is, is quite astounding. Which wasn't always the way. I remember the criticism not that long ago, bees to the honeypot. They were yes. all in at the stoppage. Well, they've now. it just takes time. They've just found the perfect balance and the way they play, and the ground balls you spent a lot of time talking about last night, the ground balls inside Melbourne's forward 50 was a, an avalanche. So talk us through the layers that worked, Geno, in their game. Yeah, it's interesting when you talk about that um, stoppage stuff and bees to a honey pot. So really that's a focus and a philosophy of a coaching group. It's not about how many contests you win. You can win the contested possession count every week just by putting more players around the football. But you do that, you're drawing players from your forward line. So you win the contest and you don't have a good forward line set up to kick to. And uh, so what they've been able to do, and it's it's clearly an Adam Uze influence, is playing a lot more with a 6-6-6 setup. And when they win a contest, it allows them to go forward and have six forwards in their front half to kick the football to and, and to spread from that contest. And also when they lose it, they're very well set up behind the ball. So if the opposition bring a forward up to the stoppage, have an out number and are more likely to win it. Melbourne are okay with that now. So they'll lose that contest, but they'll win it back behind the football, which is very much that Richmond philosophy that you had going there for a lot of years, Lepers. So it, it is a great balance and it is a coaching philosophy. And also, I think what shouldn't be lost in this, we spoke about this a few weeks ago in our Thursday segment, Jared. Everyone will be speaking rightfully about how strong they are defensively and how great they are in that midfield. But they're forward six, all playing their role. It's a great combination. So um, I, I don't think that should be forgotten, which is why we, we brought it up strongly on our Thursday session, Jared. And now we've seen in the finals the impact of that 
you know, last night, if that's a home and away game and they're not cruising to the line, then that's even a, a bigger margin again. So they have got all phases of their game nicely balanced. And they're, their stars were absolutely brilliant. So we had the votes as uh, Gorn, Viney, Petrarca, and below that yeah, were the next. Oliver I, and- I love the scene at the end, Leper. So like any good parent, you say we don't have favourites, even though we clearly do. Uh, and the four, the shot at the end. <laughs> do we? Hang on. Are you going to give a shout out at the moment? <laughs> it fluctuates from shout day out to day. Emily. No, joking. In the back row, Stephen May, who's been subbed out. And then Gorn, Petrarca, mm. Oliver, and Lever, just in case you're wondering about the pecking order, and there's no doubt really late, Petrarca goes to Goodwin and asks, can he go back on? And Goodwin takes his head off and says, no, mate, go back and sit down. Well, the funniest part about that, we, we did the comparison, we did the, the coverage last night, two weeks ago, well, the four that were on there, mm-hmm. um, in, in fact, Stephen May was a part of the four because the sub was still on the bench. But it's very clear that Jake Lever was the fifth Beatle last night because he was like, okay, we need to bring one more off. Who's the fifth best now? So they had that opportunity and Jake got the call up. So, Jake, you know, I know you're feeling good about yourself, but if Stephen was fit, you would have been out in the field, buddy. So um, like we definitely know who the most important. And they are because your Ruckman's and your, key, and your big beacon, your key back. I mean, Stephen May runs the show back there. He basically stands like a goalkeeper and directs traffic really well. And then your two prime midfielders. So get them off. You know you've got them for the game. What a what a position to be in. They're the centre of gravity for each line, aren't they? And and Gorn's such a great leader. You can't be a leader unless people want to follow you. And I saw that firsthand that he just has that charisma. And, and I've already spoken about him being a student of the game. And he's just so great at leading that footy club and giving people belief. And part of the strength of his game is that he makes his teammates a better player. So not all great players. Great players can get 20 or 30 possessions and be great in their own right. But Gorn's that sort of player that makes all the players around him better. So you think there's no Gorn, then that takes a little bit away from Protracker and Oliver and how great they've been. Um, but Melbourne supporters might be interested, Jared, in who is Goody's favourite player. I'm telling you, it's Christian Petraka. But when Pickett came along, I think that might have even <laughs> down. I think he's a bit of a, a, a down to two players, but he's definitely got his favourites. There's a hard luck story every year. We know that. and it, So we acknowledge that. But Nathan Jones, is that really does. That's an emotion stir, isn't it? So wife Jerry's about to give birth to twins. They're about to become a family of four. We know his story, captain, three-time best and fairest, 302 games through all the hard times. If any Anyone's due success, it's this man. Now, there are some reports out there that he's made the decision to leave and fly back to Melbourne today. I've spoken to uh, the Demons just a couple of minutes ago. They say categorically he hasn't made a decision as yet. So he's staying over in Perth for the time being. He might still head home today, but they're saying that categorically that decision hasn't been made. So you really feel for Nathan Jones, who is in an almightily difficult position at the moment on a professional front and also, most of all, on on a personal matter. He wasn't even in their emergency list, though, was he? So even if, you know, there happens to be someone not pull up well at training or whatever, you still think he's a little bit down the pecking order. So, yeah, it's hard to think he's going to get there from now. As much as we all love the romantic side of it and we want him there, it's hard to think it's going to happen. Leper, the important thing is, and I think all coaches are great at this now, Jonesy will know exactly where he is in the pecking order. And it was interesting, Alan Richardson said that when they have injuries, they bring in like for like. It's not necessarily the next best player. So based on some of the May conversation and anyone else that might pull up sore in that game, because clearly there won't be any changes through form. It can only be injury. 
Um, Jonesy will know exactly where he stands so he can make a really informed decision, which is important. There would have been 20 minutes where Melbourne fans were feeling sick about yeah. Stephen May when he left the field with uh, a hamstring injury. He came back and played another quarter and a half before ultimately being subbed out. What are you being told this morning? I think he'll be all right, Jared. So we know he arrived in at Melbourne in 2019. He had a bad groin there. He had two hamstrings that year as well, but he'd overcome that in more recent times. So last night, back related, I suppose, is the comforting phrase in a sense that it's just tightness. There's no strain. I don't believe that's taken place there. So he was reintroduced, obviously, after the quarter time break, played out the second term, but didn't look great. So they had trained really hard in the lead up to this, I'm told, and that it was caution to the wind at training. They wanted to simulate it as best they could around the weekend. They're going to do that again this coming weekend. I think you'll be okay. With two weeks off, this is where it works in your favour. And um, I think Stephen May will be all right, barring any unforeseen setback at training that he plays in the grand final. Yeah, back related is normally a better sign. Yeah. If, if what that basically means is they think they think it's more coming from a different area as opposed to the, the tear itself. My whole life's been back related. I've actually <laughs> I do a back related finger at the moment. It's that's how bad I am after footy. But yeah, that that is a good sign. That, he looked gone, didn't he? And Jake Lever admitted as much afterwards that when he went off, we thought, oh gee, this is a terrible. This is a, a heartbreaker for Stephen. He didn't. Mabin. He didn't look even concerned on the like as, as concerned as you can be. Yeah. He sort of was like, ah, oh, sort of. You know, umming and ahhing. It wasn't like he was, you know, in, in wrenching in pain it straight away. And the fact he didn't ice after the game, yep. he, he wasn't really in big wads of ice. It was another good sign, I thought. What might not be noted with Stephen May is his impact as a coach on the ground. So I think people are just starting to understand now his leadership strength. So, um, you know, after teams win premierships or our great players, we talk about who will make a good coach. Well, Stephen May is somebody that's on that coaching journey already in terms of his education and studies. So... Part of the, uh, well, really a big part of Melbourne's success this year is the May and Lever combination. But May effectively is like a coach on the ground and has really high standards off the field in terms of his competitiveness, which is really important for any winning team. So the way that they're set up, they have been the best team of the season. They'll clearly run favourite regardless of which opponent they have. Is What's your... What's your assessment of them as they walk into their first grand final in 21 years? Oh, we spoke a few weeks ago that they got one hand on the cup, and that's clearly still the case. And 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 really, we wait for tonight to see what sort of carnage can happen. And is are they going to face a highly fit Port Adelaide that gets through unscathed that has an easy game themselves, or are they just going to get run to the wire, face the doggies that who who knows what they're going to be um, in in a couple of weeks' time? So. Look, I think they're in the box seat. Let, let's be honest. They're, they're, it's, it's theirs to lose uh, the grand final. I think they play the system that's still the test of time for all good premiership teams over a long period of time. So, And you go back to your point, they've got a lot of leaders, leaders haven't they? Like, mm. you know, Lever, May, every one of their players is is a leader and a communicator. And that, I think that's one thing that all good teams have as well. Jared, in about round four, made those comments on our Thursday session that no one's winning the premiership without getting through Melbourne. Um, and to me, that's really evident um, or has been really evident all year. But there's a key word that I think will catch on in footy, and that's reset. So we talked about Ag- um, Agassi and, and buying into that theme and just focusing on well, – well, actually, the easiest part of that to explain is Melbourne will be talking about they don't need to be the best team in the world on that given day. They just need to be better than their opponent. And no matter what the scoreboard is, they've been able to find a way to reset and stay in the game. And I think that will hold them in really good stead going into a grand final. Look, whatever happened before, that's fine. But we reset. We play this game on our merits. We don't need to be the world champions today. We just need to be better than what our opponent is. And internally, we talk about emotion and stressing football. It just strips a lot of that away and just brings it back to base 
26. And then you think about their game style, the chaos game style, which is much more based on instinct, very unforgiving of mistakes. So I think, it, you know, they're just ticking absolutely every single box to be a premiership team this year. And there was going to be a couple of weeks spent on the decisions that they made once they dropped out of contention and the frustrations in that. And they're going to be another powerful example of of manoeuvring pieces around. So what, what do we need to put in around the coach rather than just going for the coach's throat? Is it you're talking about Chris Scott right now? Or? No, no, Melbourne. Oh, Melbourne. Um uh, so you're saying for for grand final next week? No, so for a couple of weeks, people are going to revisit. Okay, so what happened after 18 and what decisions oh, were made? And sorry. then Gary Pert runs his review the at long the end of last pass. year. Yep. And you go, actually, we're going to make a few changes around here. Yeah, well, I, I think what's happened in the last five years, if you go back to what Richmond did, to what Collingwood did with Nathan Buckley originally, and to what Melbourne did with Simon Goodwin, that, I think that's a mature approach to actually support your coach and, and, and also to show your players too that you are also professionals at organisation and you you run proper processes and, you know, you, you tick off, you give your coach a brief as to this is what your your tick-offs are, A, B and C, and then we'll assist, assess you on those. And, and I've said this many times on this show that the coach can't be everything. You can't, it's not fair for a senior coach to just to be responsible for everything. He has to turn his back at some point and have a break and go home and see his family as well. He has to know when he does that, that, you know, the kids aren't, it's not like a kindergarten where they're left alone. It's it's actually running streamlined. And there's a lot of people responsible for that as well. So that's why you do reviews. And that's why good boards put in good people and, you know, and things run really efficiently. So, and I think they did that really well, Melbourne. They realised that they got the right coach. They had the players. They just needed a little bit more. Added a few things around them on the field and off the field. So, you know, they, they, as you know, Sam touched on before, they recruited from the mid midfield, which is great. But their two key defenders aren't born and bred Melbourne players. Um, they brought them in slowly, so they, you know, use the mechanisms on all factors of the the draft and trade to to get the list they need. And as you said, you top off with an Adam Uze and you, you bring some other class and different ideas into your organisation. And, and that's where miracles happen. So there's a lot of things to go in it. You just have to know where you're at as a footy club. Yeah, I think to enhance what you're saying there as well, a really good example is Goody coaching from the bench. So he knows his strengths yes. and weaknesses and knows what he needs to put around him. And he is absolutely a perfect bench coach because um, he's a real watcher and student of the game and can tap into emotions really well and, and can hold, he can be very calm, even if underneath he's stressed and he's got all the attributes of a great bench coach. But strategy wise, he's not the competition best and he will acknowledge that. So his strengths lay um, best utilized on the bench and not in a coach's box. And what's important too for all those um, assistant coaches, which you know is a tough gig, that it's not personal. So I can feel, feel really personal when um, new coaches or when a coach has a, a change in personnel around them. And what I've learned in football is it's not personal. At certain times in the in the growth of a football team on the way to a premiership, you need those changes around and those new ideas and, and a freshness to... Um, to your organisation. So as an assistant coach, you might be there at the start of the build, the middle of the build or right in at the end. And it's not personal if you've been there at, at any of those phases, but what's important is that you do support the senior coach and, and think of the club um, as the most important aspect of it all. So Melbourne have never been closer in 57 years than they are now. Mm. It'll be a somewhat excruciating two-week wait, I suspect, for a lot of people. The other side of the coin next on Crunch Time, what now for Geelong? Crunch Time is for the Western Auto Group. The future of compact SUVs has finally arrived at Caroline Springs Jeep and Werribee Jeep. And for Red Rooster, Jared, it's delicious, crunchy, new fried chicken by Red Rooster. Available at selected restaurants, the Rooster's Calling.
Crunch time in the aftermath of Melbourne's 83-point win over Geelong in the preliminary final last night. We'll set up what's to come at Adelaide Oval tonight. Port Adelaide and the Western Bulldogs to complete the billing for the Western Grand Final. Jared Waitley, Sam Edmund, Justin Leppich and Craig Jennings assessing last night. So we revel in Melbourne and now we scrutinise Geelong. Did it feel like the end of days, Leppa, when you were watching last night? Well, you can't help but to get that feeling, but is that the reality? I mean, because we've said that about Geelong before on a few occasions when they've hit this hurdle at the end of the season. So it's probably definitely something they need to look at with their finals appearances. Can they get through the last couple of weeks of the season? So that might be just a game-styling change. Then the other part of it is also, okay, what age are our players? Because we're all getting a year older. And can we take this list? That's the question only they can answer because – well, they've, they've got to this point a few times. They're going, no, we'll just we'll double down. We'll, we'll, we'll get another older player, another experienced player, and they just keep wheeling those magnets. So interesting to see what they do in this perspective because we all think, and I think the back of mind, every person that watches Geelong thinks, at what point is it? Is it this year? Is this the year is one too far? And then how long do you wait? Because, you know, it's hard to predict whether you're coming off the curve or whether you've still got one or two up the curve or you're on top of it. It's very hard mm-hmm. to predict sometimes. Um, so, but as we know, when you do, when, once that, that drop starts to happen, uh, it, it drops fast. Um, you, you tend to go from, it happened to me at the Lions, you tend to go from first, second, third to, you know, 10th. It, it, it often happens pretty sharp and then it's like, whoa, we, we, we wish we had it done this last year. So they've got a lot of thinking to do, I think. So they've got, at the magnitude of the result gives them, there's no sort of dancing around that. That's not a heroic one goal. Well, we're, we're close. So the new standard, you're 83 points, the wrong side of the new standard, having been denied for a couple of years by Richmond, and you can absolutely hold to that. You can't now. You have to get this is a true reflection, and our decisions now have to be based on what took place last night. Having been whacked by Port Adelaide yeah. in the qualifying final. So if that does end up being the grand final pairing, they're a long way off that pairing. Yeah, they are. And and, it's, and even if they get to the top four next year, you, you, you will still be asking the same question, will it stack up? Because oh, Port Adelaide aren't on the deep. They're still on the incline, and I think Melbourne also are on the incline. So when you do these things, you've got to sit back and go, well, it's, it's, it's a little bit about what we have, but it's also what are we coming up against? Because, yeah. you know, it's great to say it will be great and you, you're looking holistically at only what you've got in front of you. But you've got to go, well, hang on, we're going to come up against the Melbourne midfield and a Port midfield, and they've got years and experience, and they're hungry too. They mm-hmm. want to they, – they've got – it's not like you're coming up against Richmond now and it's like, oh, we reckon they could be done. You know, we, we're up against – if that's all we're up against, we'll be, we're a chance. You, you, you've got two or three teams. That are, and Brisbane are still working out – that part as well. They're still on the up as well. So can they, you know, so they've got a lot of thinking to do. It's going to be hard to see them beat a top two team in the next few years. I think they really, or Chris Scott and his coaching team, need to be really open-minded what you're talking about there, Lepper, about the game style. And you mentioned the the new standard, Jared. And for me, uh, I've been saying for a long time, I think the chaos game style really stands up in September and the control game style can give you some false readings against some bottom teams. And it's really a great, um, game style for May and June, but last week uh, on the weekend or last night, sorry, um, the rule changes really support that more chaotic game style. And what you're saying, Leper, is you have to be aware of your own strengths, but also what you're coming up against. So I just think Chris Scott and his coaching team need to have a really open and honest conversation around their game style because they can play a chaotic game, but it's a bit more 70, 80% in terms of the more control and careful game. And last night they couldn't break through a tackle, which is usually a strength because of the heat of a final and then 
by not breaking through a tackle, they can't get through the front of a contest and find that uncontested mark game that they want under the heat of finals football. So I, I think they really need to have that honest conversation. So let's have a listen to Chris Scott in the aftermath of the preliminary final. It's really difficult in the moment um, to talk about anything that's positive, given the way we all feel, and we will feel for quite some time. But I think in the fullness of time, we will reflect on not only this year, but the last two years under a lot of adversity, how well our club uh, has stuck together uh, and, and found a way to give all our people a chance at the ultimate. We've fallen short uh, and it's a bit of pill to swallow, uh, but our, our club has, over a long period of time, um, found a way to recover from difficult situations and I think we're in that situation again where uh, we've got a choice to make. We can we can roll over uh, or we can take the time we need to regroup. We were pretty battered towards the end of the season, really not just the last couple of weeks, but probably the six weeks um, leading into the into the final series. Um, and I think, you know, there's a few things that I won't speak about tonight that will become clearer um, over the next few weeks. But suffice to say, uh, I'm proud of the way our guys endured and we just completely ran out of steam. Uh, by tonight. Chris, a lot has been made about the age profile of the team that you fielded tonight. Does that play into the sort of running out of steam, running out of momentum at all? I think that's um, always going to be an observation and has been the observation over the years that when you get beaten, you look old and, and when you win, it's because of your experience. I don't think either are necessarily true. We need to um, dig down and, and be really clear that... Um, the things we need to improve on um, are real rather than just sort of jumping at the superficial analysis. But I can understand why you'd say it. We're all always considering ways in which we can tweak our plan a little bit. We'll go away with the right people and, and put some work uh, into that. But, again, it's not, it's not really for me to defend right at the moment. But what I will say is in, in, in my time and probably the... I guess the end of 2010, Geelong had a bad loss in a, in a prelim final. It was the end then. Um, so that's our challenge. So 2010 was the fork in the road moments and Chris Scott came to the job and there were parameters put in place. He operated under selection quotas where you had, you had to have a mix, an, an X number of players under a few games experience to integrate with the old and then they brilliantly went on and won the flag. So it was interesting that he referenced that rather than anybody bringing it up is it is a fork in the road. There's a new president in, mm. but most critically, Steve Hawking's about to take the reins as chief executive. So you get one go at the fresh set of eyes and what is our collective direction. And it makes Hawking the most interesting addition to a footy club, I think, full stop. And the most important too, isn't he? Because he holds a lot of the keys. He was asked, Chris Scott, directly last night, would you take a call from Carlton, who are in the market, and he has been linked to that position. And he said, my phone will be off, so I won't be taking any calls. That was his only comment on the matter. So I'm just fascinated where Geelong go from here list-wise if he is to stay on Chris Scott with the the way he approaches things. So they've done an unbelievable job. We know that the story's well-written, how they've stayed in contention for so long and defied the gravity of the modern game. But when your picks don't come until 30 and 32 in the draft and you sold the farm to get Jeremy Cameron in, Sean Higgins hasn't quite worked out. He's got another year to go. Lockie Henderson might be your only retiree. 
And then you've got three of your youngest players who will be tempted to leave. In fact, Charlie Constable wants to leave. Quinton Narkel's been seemingly frozen out, and he'll have some suitors as well. And then you've got the high draft pick in um, uh, Clark, Jordan Clark, who obviously has suitors back home as well. So there's three of their brightest young prospects thinking of leaving. And they've made them stay patient for so long. How much more patient can they be? And will the promise of more senior game time going into next year be enough to keep them this time around? So do they need an influx of of young players? It's easy to say young talent, but if you don't have the draft pick, they do have young players who aren't in that side, who they, uh, Chris spoke about, um, the, the apprenticeship that you do in the VFL and how that served Geelong historically quite well. Is Do they need that in their AFL team by the time they front up next year? I guess the challenge, um, it, it's funny, uh, one, one thing, um, Gabby Allen said this to me one day, so I will name you, sorry, Gab, but there's a certain player that got delisted once, and I said, well, why did you do that? You know, because I find him valuable. In fact, I think we'd play him next year. He said, that's why I'm getting rid of him, because you won't play the kids, you'll play this bloke. And he was the, you know, 21st, 22nd best player. He said, you're not going to try the kids. You're going to keep going back to the well on the same old types all the time. He goes, so that's why I did. Cause it, and you're right, because it wasn't going to be, the team wasn't going to be any better or worse with that play being there or not. But you don't, you don't take the risk of actually, coaches by nature will play their best available that's there. So if you take that away from them, they'll play the best available now is a Jordan Clark. And he does get more games. So the problem is, is that, yeah, you can say play the kids, but... If Lockie Henderson's still sitting there on your list, you are going to pick Lockie Henderson because he can help you win that week. So the hardest thing to do sometimes is to take that option away altogether, which forces you to play them, um, or have the conversation at the start of the year with them. We're just using Lockie's name as an example, um, and, and we're obviously not hoping that happens to them, but to have the conversations that we are only using you for you know, fill-in for so many games because this is our committed pathway, which is what you're saying, Joe. But you can't do that with four, five, six players. You can probably only do that with one, maybe two on your list as older players. Otherwise, you want to play the rest because they're the most experienced and the ones you can rely on the most. So sometimes getting rid of them is the best thing to do, as hard as that is and harsh as that sounds, because it'll, it does actually force you to go down a certain path. And um, and, and I'm, I'm not at all condoning the making wholesale changes, of course, but as a coach, just being in that coach week-to-week cycle, you just want to play the best available to get your win up. And even if it's only half a percent in it, you'll go to that half a percent because that win could mean anything. So the difference between ninth and eighth or you know fifth and fourth, and that sort of keeps your – not just keeps your job, but keeps your team going. So you get in that fight and scrap mode. And that is – so that's the philosophical discussion they, they have to sit down and have yep. is can they actually contend for the flag next year? And if the answer to that is yes, then away you go. If the answer to that is no, then okay, how do we – you said reset. How do you reset the list? How do you reset the style? And can the same coach totally flip his game plan upside down if he does recognise, okay, this gets us only so far as has been well documented. Can we completely flip the script? Can a leopard change its spots if you're Chris Scott and you've been coaching at the same club for so long with that personnel? Can you totally flip your approach, your game plan? Well, it's a good question. I mean, you think – most coaches evolve, but I think Chris has even evolved over the course of time as well. Um, so I, I don't think that would be a problem for him. Um, he's, a, he's a pretty professional guy. But, mm. but as you mentioned, like they, they have a game last night where their uncontested mark game was quick, really stripped. They only had 49. They averaged 92 a yeah, game. Yeah. And so that's literally almost halved. And they and what's next? So you've got to always have you know plan B and C ready to go in case the game isn't on your terms. 
And that's where Melbourne's really good because if the game's not on their terms, they still have a system that can hold up and fight and scrap till the end. They are in good hands, Geelong, though, aren't they? So there's yeah. something about that football club that we wouldn't know unless you've worked at that footy club. And I you know, heard your comments, Jared, about the VFL program and how important. And I think Shane O'Brien has been coaching that team for must be near on seven years now and how valuable that must be to that organisation. But you think of Simon Lloyd as the footy manager, Chris Scott as the coach, Stephen Hocking as the CEO. Like They're in very, very good hands. So whichever way they go, they're going to stay successful. I've got no doubt about that. And we just see how much Steve Hocking, being the CEO, we often have these conversations. What's the CEO's role? Should he get involved even in football? Or is it the general manager of football? So they're great. You know, we just what happened with Kane Little this week. Mm. He's been very successful of building that club up and getting finances in the building and doing what I think is the core role of a CEO. Mm. But there's obviously other parts to, particularly in a football side, clearly that's, that's his brief. It makes them a riveting watch over the next few weeks to see what they do as they wouldn't have been expected to play much of a role in the trade period. I wonder if they suddenly mm. do. So those mm. discussions, I would imagine, would begin pretty well immediately. Uh, Brian Cook's coming out of the chief executive job. Is he going into Carlton? So the Blues, we're going to have a deep dive into tonight's game as the Bulldogs and Port Adelaide meet at Adelaide Oval. And Charlie Spargo is going to join us. He, he's bound for a grand final, so we'll touch base with the Ds over in the West the morning after. You're listening to Crunch Time for the Western Auto Group. The future of compact SUVs has finally arrived at Caroline Springs Jeep and Werribee Jeep. Right here, right now, Kane Little and Brad Lloyd have responsibility for getting after the implementation of the roadmap, obviously under the uh, under the watchful eye of, of Greg in, in his football director role and myself, and, and we move forward. That was August 26. By September 10, the chief executive who'd been entrusted with implementing the roadmap and sitting on the coach selection panel had been shown the door. This is one of the most mind-boggling case studies that football's ever seen. It's clearly the most bizarre I've ever experienced and who's to say where it ends up leading to. But Carlton people, Carlton staff members are being treated in a way that, that you just couldn't imagine. And so how did how did the chief executive meet his end, Sam Edmonds? Well, it was a back me or sack me ultimatum from Kane Little. And Luke Sayers, Cyclone Sayers, uh, Jared, will he obliged with the latter? So the Blues board met Thursday night. Staff were invited to a Zoom meeting Friday morning. They were told in that Zoom meeting that the chief executive was gone. Now, Kane Little wasn't on that call. Unlike the awkward Zoom moment the Thursday prior when a staff member bobbed up and asked specifically about Kane Little's future, and Luke Sayers didn't rule out further changes. Now, Kane Little himself has handled himself with class in that situation, and he's said to have done so throughout. He's been there for four years. Just what Leper touched on earlier, he's overseen record membership, wiped out all historical debt. He has the club in its strongest financial position in a long, long time. They said, the club, that the disparity between that off-field success and the lack of it on-field was the main reason for his demise. So they won't replace Kane Little in the subcommittee. And he was he was uh, appointed to find the new coach with. And Luke Sayers said in the club statement yesterday that the board had completed all personnel changes. And there had been a guillotine seemingly hanging over the football boss, Brad Lloyd. That now no longer appears to be the case. All sorts of whispers around who comes in, not only as the CEO, but as the coach. And um, Cyclone Sayers claims another big pillar of the, the footy club. It's a, it's a, a, the winds of change don't quite do it justice, Jared. No, no. Is for whatever ends up being there, there's no excusing 
what's taken place around David Teague and now Kane Little. Kane Little's sitting there at the press conference where the details of the report are being unveiled and the coach is being sacked. He's then appointed to select the new coach and uh, within 15 days, he's gone. Like, mm. in, just inexcusable way to do business. And if Luke Sayers gets what he wants and it's Brian Cook and if they do land Alistair Clarkson, good luck to them. But it still won't excuse what's happened during this phase. You'd think there has to be more going on here, given there wouldn't be too many chief executives that have been sacked with the, the portfolio that Kane Little has built off the field at Carlton. It is, uh, for all the reasons I just mentioned, it's been an overwhelming success. Now, one of the criticisms around the way he did business was involving himself too actively in the football department and recruiting. And the Brown and Ellis story gets mentioned all the time that he perhaps swam outside his lane. But now we're hearing that he hasn't done enough to, to bridge the gap between the off-field success and the on-field failure. So you probably can't have your cake and eat it too, can't you? But that, speaking to people at Carlton, they suspect there just has to be more at play here. The staff are confused. Um, it did come as a shock for all the whispers around Kane Little that he actually was sacked. So maybe in the fullness of time, we'll get the, the, the full picture. And, and I don't know, if you're going to let someone like that go, Jared, are you right to assume that you've already got the next piece of the jigsaw puzzle in place? Or are we asking too much of Carlton to assume that? Uh, probably. As we'll, I guess we'll find out in the coming days if they've landed Brian Cook and that's been organised behind the scenes. So you've got to watch this from our side of the fence. It's your one-year leper to watch a club go about its business. Uh, and you've been um, taken aback, shall we say, repeatedly by oh, the way this has pro- gone. Probably everyone's the same. I, I think if you give football people and people inside the walls, it is a different environment being inside Clubland. But if you could give someone the, the option to rip the Band-Aid off or death by a thousand cuts, I think they'd know which one they'd choose is rip the Band-Aid off and move on and actually sack me today. So let's sign the paperwork, move on, and what, tomorrow I'll wake up a new man. And, but this hasn't gone that way. It's been death by a thousand cuts. And and we spoke last week, I think it was, about it's time now to build trust back in the organisation. And lo and behold, a few days later, it's actually the opposite's happened. You know, you've got another... Uh, sacking uh, um, of, of an important key personnel, um, and as you know, the CV you just read out there, Sam, makes you think he's done a lot of good work. So then you think, well, what what is it? And and look, we'll always find a reason why we can get rid of someone, to be honest, and sack someone. You know, we're actually talking about reasons why Chris got no good, and he's actually, mm. you know, what you think of all he's achieved, and now we've we've actually trying to find a reason, and it's it's crazy. Um, and he's a highly successful coach. So, yeah, I, I, my belief is a core role of a CEO is to do exactly what Kane did, is to actually achieve yeah. off-field success. And your, your GM of footy and other people are the ones that should run your – and your football director should run that part of it, supported by um, your CEO. But I guess that's disappointing. I mean, if, if Kane was sticking his nose in, so to speak, in other areas he shouldn't have been, isn't it as simple as saying, mate, we're going to keep going, keep doing your great stuff off the field, but, hey – we're just going to separate you from that. You'd think that'd be or, an easy fit. Well, it's just a conversation, yeah. isn't it? Because we all imagine every time we have a fight with our spouse, we get a divorce. It's crazy. Like you, you go through rocky roads and hard times with people. You just don't. I guess at some point you got to decide when you give up on anything. But it's it's um it's an interesting one from the outside looking in, isn't it? Yeah, retribution's been a big part of this. So there are still those at Carlton who are holding a candle for Alistair Clarkson. They are, Jared. There are the whispers rage on around Alistair Clarkson. He might still be in the mix. I cannot tell you how many times I've had that denied by his manager, James Henderson, who stresses nothing has changed. But speaking to people who are employed at Carlton, they say they still believe they're a chance to land the four-time premiership coach. So time will tell. We know what Alistair Clarkson wants to do. He wants to take a year off and he wants to go over to the US and study. Can he get there? Will he get accepted into all those exclusive colleges? Who knows what's going to happen? Will it make any difference, Jared? But you're right, the candle's being held. 
So, Carlton are quite the case study at the moment. So, we're going to delve deep into tonight's preliminary final at Adelaide Oval, the Dogs and the Power. I'm going to touch base with Charlie Spargo, the joy of the demons, the morning after. You're listening to Crunch Time, the Werribee Jeep and Caroline Springs Jeep stocks, the all-new Jeep Compass for your convenience. Melbourne 83-point winners in last night's preliminary final. They will run favourite in the 2021 grand final. The question is, who will they be opposed to? And that will be answered at Adelaide Oval tonight. Port Adelaide, a season on back in this moment that they get to host against the Western Bulldogs. And it feels like a lot is conspiring against the Dogs. Bit of injury, bit of bad luck, and a bit of health authority mumbo-jumbo in there as well. Welcome to crunch time for the Western Auto Group. The future of compact SUVs has finally arrived at Caroline Springs Jeep and Werribee Jeep. Jared Waitley, Sam Edmonds, Justin Lepich and Craig Jennings with you on this Saturday as we look ahead to tonight. We'll have a bit of a deep dive into what's about to transpire and we're going to touch base with Charlie Spargo in a moment's time. Just for particularly, I think, Luke Beveridge is, t- is all in on... You can feel a special Luke Beveridge coming tonight. I think you can tell. Ken Hinckley's sitting there going, okay, what does it look like if we get there? You know, oh, holy hell, that's what it looks like. You've been watching last night thinking, poor, it's going to be a tough task. Oh, absolutely. Oh, just don't you love Bevo? Because he, he, he loves playing the, you know, particularly this week. One thing he said, which I just, with his, with his presser just before, he said, yeah, it's going to be on talent and it's going to be on system. And he said, but... This game's going to be played with emotion and psychology. It was like, bang. Sorry, Geno, I stole your thunder there. He wrote it down. But what, what, that, what does that mean? What he's basically doing, he's dismissing the fact that really Port Adelaide, are the informed team, they've got no injuries, they're playing the home deck and all these other things. He's basically saying it's going to be a psychological war. What brilliant coaching that is because he knows they'll win that battle. They'll win the psychological warfare battle, and that's probably their one advantage tonight over anything else. And Bevo is probably competition best at that psychological warfare as well. So he knows when to um, make his team the underdog in terms of messaging, and he knows how to instill belief in them and a way to win. So this is going to be an exciting game. He's had some help too (laughs) in the us against them stakes as well with SA Health. I'll tell you what, he doesn't miss a moment either, Bevo. They wanted their captain's run as his custom at the ground where they're playing the day before. Now, they couldn't get that. They couldn't get that until they'd tested negative. So that was impossible. So they did their captain's run in Perth. They were then delayed slightly. They didn't get into Adelaide until sort of 5, 5.30 last night. Couldn't do the captain's run there. So they'll have a, a walk around today before the game. But uh, he was most unpleased. The suggestion came through, well, can you do your captain's training run on the day of the game? And they said, no, no. We tend not to train on the same day that we play. So... It's been a few issues there with SA Health, but it all builds the narrative that Bevo loves to create too. Clubs have been biting their tongues for weeks over this, and Luke Beveridge just couldn't bite his tongue. Laughable, I think, was the term he used. Yeah, Yeah. comical. Uh, Let's touch base with Charlie Spargo before we dig right into what's going to transpire tonight. Melbourne, 83-point winners last night. Charlie, great to have you on Crunch Time. Thanks for having me, guys. What sort of buzz was it? Uh, Yeah, it's uh, pretty crazy. Um, Still pretty surreal. Um, just soaking it all in uh, with not only the guys that played last night, but getting the staff and, and the guys who were in the stands to come down the ground. Um, it was actually, I got a little bit emotional. It was just um, good for, you know, the culmination of a lot of hard work this year that um, we finally made it to, you know, one win away from, from doing what we set out to do. So, um, yeah, fantastic time and uh, very excited. Was it a pretty great reality waking up this morning and thinking, well, I mean, we're going to a grand final. 
Yeah, that's right. Um, I'm still sort of pinching myself that we're they're one, we're one win away. So, um, yeah, big big two weeks coming up um, to do everything we can to prepare as well as possible. Um, I think we did a pretty good job of that uh, with the two-week break off last time. So uh, do the same thing again and, and be ready. Hey, Charlie, uh, Justin Lepichig, well done, mate. Great win last night. Your defensive system's up and rolling again. Um, just want to talk about that, that role you play. Obviously, the small forwards are just such a massive influence in, in Melbourne and how, how you play. What, what is the role? Get up the field, get back. It seems to be a lot of running, a lot of pressure involved. Yeah, that's right, Lepa. As you'd know, with, you know, it's pretty similar to Richmond. Um, we play a pretty uh, vital part in our, in our team's defence, and um, you've got to expect sort of going into games not, not to get a lot of the ball. Um, there's a lot of unrewarded running to sort of open up space for others, um, to close people out in the ground, and then also the, the pressure is crucial. So um, our forwards coach, Greg Stafford and Goody, do a really good job of making it quite clear to us what, what we need to do. Um, and for the three of us, Cozzy and Alex and I, we know that uh, when we play, you know, do the things that are fundamental to our role, like pressure, um, getting after the opposition, opening up space, working really hard, that the, the offensive things come on the back of that, such as, you know, kicking goals, um, setting up goals. So um, it's very clear what we need to do. It's a pretty thankless task, isn't it? Particularly from the outside, you don't get a, a lot of the reward. What is done internally? I'm always interested to see what those guys that don't get the kudos from the outside. We know Petrarca gets all the kudos and Clayton Oliver, Maxi Gorn. What are some of the things they do internally to make sure you boys are rewarded for those things? Yeah, there's no doubt um, everyone needs recognition. Um, and uh, Goody's very good at, at um, you know, giving credit to the guys that, that do the things that go unnoticed, particularly the small forwards. Uh, the small backs, Angus Brayshaw, for example, this year, he's gone to the wing, hasn't had as much ball as, um, you know, what he used to has in the last few years, but he plays a crucial role in our defence as well when teams, you know, sort of want to come out that open side, he's always closing it off. So um, Goody's really good at uh, giving recognition to those that, yeah, as you said, don't get it um, on the outside and through the media, but it's, it's really important for the way we play. Sparks, Craig Jennings here, mate. How you going, buddy? Yeah, good to hear your voice, John. Um, I, I can't call you Charlie. I've got to stick with the Jackie Sparrow. It's important that everybody knows that that's your nickname and it, and it's stuck there, yeah. hasn't it? Yeah, Goody. Goody still calls me that. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, Goody's very well regarded for his, his pre-game meetings and, and um, Lever said in the pre-game last night that um, he can really inspire a lot of emotion in his pre-game stuff. Can you take us inside um, your pre-game meeting last night and... Um, you know, was was it was the game themed, and um, you know what was the mood in the rooms? Yeah, it's uh, he's pretty good at sort of one motivating us, but two keeping us relaxed. Mm. Um, every now and then he gets something funny up. Maybe show. I remember one game he showed like some vision of Choco chasing down some guy when he used to play, <laughs> and he actually kicked his foot and tripped him over. Um, <laughs> it was pretty funny vision. So um, yeah, he's he's a very good motivator. We have. Uh, a theme each week, sort of, and, and he plays sort of montages of our highlights working with that theme each week. That's good at, you know, if you sort of want to run through a brick wall after it, but also keeps that even keel by yeah. um, showing us funny things like that. Every now and then we we have a message from Marty, one of our fans back in Melbourne. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's good like that. Yeah, he's a good fellow, Marty. Now, the next few days, can you give some uh, the Melbourne supporters some insights? Like, who are you knocking about with the next few days and, and what are you going to get up to, mate? Well, it's uh, it's pretty good. We've just finished our quarantine period. So um, I'm in Scarborough at the moment, about to get um, some breakfast and have a swim in the beach with um, a few of the young boys 
So it'll be good to uh, get out and about. But um, yeah, I think we're we're having today and tomorrow off, and then sort of have a few sessions this week, um, and then get ready for just a pretty normal week the week after that. And I know you get great support from your family. Your, your dad um, played AFL football at North Melbourne and Brisbane, and maybe your grandfather yep. as well. So have you been able to keep in touch with them? Are they over in Perth? Um, no, nah, none of them are in Perth, unfortunately. Um, that's probably one of the hard things this year, just not being able to uh, enjoy the ride with your family and have them come along with you. But i um, been leaning on Dad quite heavily uh, throughout my whole career, and particularly this year. Um, he's always been willing to give me advice and, um, never pressured me to play footy or anything, but he's always um, someone good to lean on. Um, you know, when there's when there's tougher times in footy, or, or just to give me advice on my game. Now, now, Charlie, I did bump into your dad at the start. I did play with him for his first year at Brisbane. Well, my the, first yeah. year in his last year. Yeah. Um, you yeah. weren't you weren't thought of then. But one thing I did <laughs> notice um, in his game. He well, can I say extremely slow midfielder <laughs> inside and now yeah. I don't know is Mum is oh, Kate I'm happy is, I didn't get his chance. So, so, <laughs> so, so all the speed comes from Kate's side of the family. Well, I don't know. I think Mum was a a good enough athlete. Um, I think Dad started off reasonably quick when he was a bit younger when he first got into the AFL. But my grandpa said that they fed him too many weights and he lost his pace. So um, I've always been been wary of not doing doing too much to bog myself up because speed is important. But I hear that from a lot of people, that he was a good player, but slow as treacle. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Charlie, Sam Edmund, appreciate your time this afternoon, uh, our time, of course. I'm somewhat reluctant to ask you about this man and, and have you speak for him, but such is, I guess, the the status that uh, Nathan Jones has at your football club and a lot of uncertainty, and we, we all have uh, a lot of empathy for the position he finds himself in. Is Has he made the decision yet, do you know, to, to head back to Melbourne today? Um, yeah, as of as of now, we we don't know what decision uh, he's made, but he um, he enjoyed it with us last night. We got back to the hotel and um, we put on just to, to have a few beers with with all the players and staff, and everyone sort of sat around. But the the role he's played in us getting to where we are, even though he's not playing at the moment, is just it's profound. He um, particularly for me, I feel like you know his professionalism, the way he trains, has set the best example possible uh, for young guys. So. Mm. Um, he's done so much for us and you know whether he stays here or goes home he's um, played a huge role and I'm sure the next fortnight's going to go pretty slow for you but do you gather together to watch the game tonight or will it be um, up to each individual to decide whether they want to absorb it or not um, well, well for the last last couple of weeks every game of footy they've uh, put on the projector in um, in the meals room so whether or not it, it, it was uh, pertinent to us we'd still watch it all together so I imagine tonight we'd Yep. Most people will gather um, around and watch it together. I know I'll be watching with a few guys. I'll be watching it quite closely. 58,600 there last night, Charlie. Did, did it feel like a... It felt like a Melbourne environment from afar, the way it was pulsing through. What, what was your observations of the Demons' yeah. stronghold there? Yeah, it was, it was uh, pretty loud, to be honest. I've always thought Optus is one of the loudest stadiums. I don't know if it's the, the way it's built or the acoustics, but I remember when we played in the prelim last time and there were 60,000 West Coast supporters it was deafening but um yeah there was a, there was a great selling from from melbourne and from Geelong for that matter but um it felt like the day at times when uh maxi was when he kicked two or three in a row it was, it was getting quite loud are you a nervy character at all charlie how will you absorb the next it's a long wait now for yeah. a grand final one that we've never experienced before yeah i get i get very nervous mm. um i was pretty nervous going to the game last night but i do think it helps me um that sort of optimal 
level of arousal. So uh, I was plenty of nerves last night, but once we started playing, I was fine. But yeah, I've, to be honest, I've already been thinking about it a lot. So I'll have to find ways to keep me distracted over the next couple of weeks. But some nerves are good, I feel, for me. Good stuff. Charlie, great to touch base. Uh, enjoy the next couple of weeks. A few freedoms won't go astray. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we'll see you in a grand final. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Charlie Spargo there from the Demons Camp. He's a ripper. How good's he? He's just a genuine bloke, isn't he? He's just, yeah. And, and there's a lot of these characters, aren't there, Leper, in terms of at a football club that we don't get to hear from a lot. But the time and effort that this kid, well, he's not a kid anymore, really, has put into his game is just incredible. And he's just a credit to his family, too. And he, his dad played AFL, as we're talking about, Leper, and I know that he's done him proud. Yeah, and, he's, and Spargo's a great family, too. And as I said, my first year and his last year at the Brisbane Bears, the one year they spent together. Nathan Chapman lived with him and we'll, as mates. Right. Yep. So that we, I spent a lot of time over there and Kate cooked a lot of meals for us. Long, long time ago now, Jared. Just reminiscing. Where's the music? <laughs> we, better get, we better get him on over the next couple of weeks, I reckon. We're gearing up for a big day of footy for Dometic. Fuel your adventure with Dometic's outdoor drinkware. So Leper and Geno... Let's let's paint the picture for tonight. Set yep. the scene for us as to how this gets determined. Port Adelaide are, are heavy favourites at home. The Bulldogs are a bit banged up, but selection hasn't been kind to them. They've mm. taken the odd risk here and there. What, what's your overriding thoughts? I'm just so wrapped Steph Martin's back. Yeah. I, I think he's the one that changes the dynamic of the game because he's the one now that I think if you're you know, um, the midfield of any, all the midfielders of the Western Bulldogs, you're kind of, hey, hang on a minute, this sort of ruck dominance thing, that won't be there anymore. We're going to have a guy that can throw his shoulders back and, you know, give Scott Lysett, you know, not everything he wants. So I, I think that's a huge, um, it's a, it just changes the starting point. And often mm. when you change the starting point, what flows on from that changes. Um, so I, I think that's a huge, a huge in for the doggies and an underestimated in. Yeah, I think also when you think about Port Adelaide, one of their real target areas is the centre bounce. They place high value on that. And, you know, it's a, like, um, it's a super strength of the Bulldogs, their midfield. But when you're roving to the opposition Ruckman every single week, it gets fatiguing, doesn't it? So what you're saying, Lepper, is now they go into this game and feeling really enthusiastic and fresh that they're going to get a good look at it. And I think this will really have an impact on the game. Yeah, if, if you break down, let's just say the centre square bounce, for example, you tend to have a sweeper. That's the guy that's guarding sort of the goals for you to make sure you don't get done out the front. You've got a guy that's playing a defensive role and a, a guy that's hit to your offensive player, your weapon, the one that you think, okay, we'll get him through the contest or we'll wrap around the back. And sometimes you mix up who that is. So if you don't think you're ever going to win a tap, you've got three guys basically playing defensive yep. roles and no one playing really an offensive winning. It's all going to be based off reactive stuff. Well, mm. He'll hit it to him. We'll tackle him, and then we'll go out and explode after that. So it's very hard to get anything on the front foot. And the Adelaide Oval, you get maximum benefit for your centre bounce as well because it's that little bit skinnier. These things can impact a game of footy. So you you win that centre bounce, you get it in your front 50. It's much easier to defend than a big ground like the MCG, for example. And also, if you've got it in your front half and you're a, you're a high forward 50 pressure team, it's pretty hard for the opposition to take the ball 180 metres the other way to score. So, yeah, it is a, it's going to be an exciting in for the dogs. What's realistic for him? So he played six of the first seven games. He played round 12 and was subbed out at half time. So he hasn't played a full game of footy since April 30 and he comes into a preliminary final. And look, you can underestimate or overestimate Ruckman as much as you like. I think their role, if any, in the football field is the most simplistic by nature. So his role is to get to 50, 60 stoppages. That, that, that to me, is his number one thing to do. And anything beyond that's a bonus because what he's going to supply the guys around him is his key. So 
I wouldn't be overstretching myself. Steph at his best can run as good as anyone on the ground and link up. So that's a great part of his game. But I wouldn't be risking that at the expense of what you can do around the clearance. I always take my cues from Maxi Gorn, and he respects him enormously, having rucked with him at, at Melbourne, um, doing a lot of training together. But there are things you can do strategically. So Steph Martin can play in a ruck. Now, we know that there's some tension points around the Bulldogs' defence in terms of one-on-one, even though I think they are really stacking up in the back half of this year. So he can play ruck and that kick behind the footy and not go inside forward 50. And then that reduces the amount of times you need to run up and down the ground. And then you've got English in the front half that can, you know, almost do the forward 70 ruck stuff. So there's lots of little things that Bevo, and he's very creative in in terms of his strategy. So there might be a few things that he can throw at Port Adelaide tonight. Sam, no one had a better line of sight to the other side of the country than you did on Thursday. Mm. Kudos to you, knowing what was going on with Alex Keith, which hadn't been identified. He'd run laps evidently on Tuesday, but you found out as it was unfolding on Thursday that he wasn't going to be part of it. Well, I was pretty keen to ask Leper from one key defender to another, structurally where this leaves the Western Bulldogs. Because when you go back through Alex Keith's direct matchup since round 12, Rory Lobb, goalless, Tom Hawkins, one, Josh Kennedy, goalless, Lance Franklin, one, Ben King, two, Charlie Dixon, goalless, Peter Wright, goalless. Now, He's not playing with a hamstring. He tried. Run-throughs was the best he could do, and he left during the main session you speak of at uh, Lathlane Park, where West Coast are based uh, during the week. So where does that leave them structurally, Leper? Well, it means probably Zane Cordy or Gardner's playing on a Charlie Dixon. That's that's as simple as that, and they just have to do the same sort of role, affect his influence and and make sure they you know he doesn't take three, four big contested marks a game. Like it did happen a lot with the doggies, didn't they? When at, yeah. their, at their worst, uh, Peter Wright got a hold of them, and they had some games where the key forwards did get a hold of them. So um, he just has to curtail that first and foremost. I think Sammy, to your point too, Bevo's one of those coaches where he won't blame the defenders when they get beaten; he'll blame the midfield and the pressure. So he's he's a coach that really focuses on restricting supply into their back half. And when they were up and about and on top of the ladder and flying in a real premiership favourite, it wasn't because they had the league's best back six or seven or eight, was it? It was because the midfield was just uber dominant, protecting them, generating scores. So perhaps if the mojo is slowly coming back there and they fire tonight, then they can... They can cover the loss. Yeah, they need to be uber dominant, no doubt. And But the thing is, though, too, as we see, and look at the game last night, uh, which position wouldn't you want to play last night? I would hate to have been a Geelong defender last night. Mm-hmm. Which position would you love to play? I'd love to be a Melbourne defender last night. How good was that? Oh, winning clearance, and if it does come in, it's long and high, and I've got a couple of friends around me to support me, and it's all nice and good. So uh, the, the defence, often, you're, you're right, Jen, getting back to your point before, it, what, what the midfield do, because... If the midfield get beaten, it's like, yeah, Danger still had 24. He had a good influence, but it's like, yeah, really? Um, What you did at the other end didn't quite help your backs. And Bevo, one of his philosophies is the scoreboard is a form of defence. So he is an attacking coach in the sense. So clearly, like every coach, we focus on contest and defence, but he uses the scoreboard as a form of defence, meaning that let's get that two or three goal head start, the fast start, which they have twice against Port Adelaide this year and then see if we can make Port Adelaide go sour. And the positive out of that main training session was that the captain looked fantastic, Marcus Pontembelli. So if it is, as we're led to believe, shin bruising or lower leg bruising of sorts, he certainly moved well in isolation at training. Well, you hope that's it, because if anything that's in the knee joint, it's not going to make it yeah. much harder for him. What, is, what, is, what does he need to be able to do? Well, everything. <laughs> everything. He's got to be able to win the clearance, run ahead like he does, and then deliver the ball inside 50. So that's the bit I'll be watching is just his movement and his explode from the clearance because that's the bit that separates him in the competition. Um, yes, he can get forward and score as well, but I think that's the bit that, that the team need him for. 
uh, given the fact they've got so many guys at the source. So, you know, if he can't do that or he's hobbling out or he hasn't got that dash out of that congestion, that's the bit for me. That's the watch. And, gee, Cody Waitman's a loss, isn't he? For, mm. for a kid in the infancy of his career, he's such an impact player. Uh, they're going to miss him, obviously, due to the concussion uh, protocols. The other side of the coin, Port Adelaide. So they're rested. They're home. They're ready to go. They've got the, the burn of last year to draw on when they were so close against the, the Tigers in a preliminary final. Uh, yeah, and they're in form and they're healthy and they've got a lot of things going their way. They should be odds on to win this game. Um, you know, and that's why I love Bevo's call about the psychology of the game. I think he sees that as well, that that's their imprint. That's their chance to get them. Um, you look through the Port Adelaide team, Ollie Wines, you know, superstar. Um, Fantasia, you know, flying at the moment. Uh, Robbie Gray, Rosie, they're all in really good form. So it's going to be hard. The headache for Bevo is going to be if they get on top through the midfield. It's a bit like Geelong last night. Your one would, if that starts to burn down a little bit, it's what what else are you going to have to lean back on? And I, and that's the worry for me. If Port Adelaide smash them through the midfield, we'll have a very similar game to last night. I think Kenny's a very creative coach, but what he's really strong at is he can make the complex really simple. And he's been able to gear this team to be a great contest-to-contest team. So you talk about wines and Boke and so forth. So they'll win a contest at the stoppage. They'll just get it forward. No finesse, but then they're at the next contest as well. And then they're inside 50 count. It's really about their inside 20s and inside 30s. Those deep entries, Dixon launches at the footy. It comes to deck and they've got that um, strong three to four crummers just flying in. So just such a simple game style like Melbourne's that really should stand up uh, under the most pressure of a big final. Charlie should be looking to clunk a few tonight and not bring them all to ground, shouldn't he? Uh, no. It's funny. Maybe late in the game if he gets a bit excited. But I thought it was evident last night as well that um, McDonald did it really well a few times, Ben Brown. They led with the one arm to make sure that, well, let's get it to our strength. Marking is a bonus. Bring it to ground to your advantage, which I think also Port Adelaide have in spades on the ground. That will be his number one. Um, and I know it's not sexy and I know people hate it. We'd rather see a contested mark on the big screen, but coaches are percentage driven beasts, mm. you know, and the percentages are there's, there's a greater chance of, of the opposition marking it or a long spoil spoiling it 20 meters away out of the drop zone. So, when you do all those numbers, you're like, man, just get it to Grant. So well, at least we know we've got it where we need it. We haven't converted him, have we? We yeah. thought maybe we <laughs> Actually, converted Actually, throw that out, Kenny. Go for your marks. Knee <laughs> up. Big Toby Green kick out of the way. He never left the box, did he? <laughs> Were we kidding? The other important part of, of, you know, you're talking about the percentages there, Leper, is if you go a deep entry and it comes to ground and you can create a crumbing goal, that's great. But you can also get a stoppage. So if you feel like you've got a forward 50 stoppage strength, that plays into your hands too. But it also helps you set up defensively. And we know the Port have a very aggressive defence, so it's really suited to deep entries for a start. And if not a goal, at least get that stoppage set up that you can create the next goal from or set up your defence perfectly. So it's a really good combination oh, for them. That's going to really annoy you, Sam. So you're saying not only not go for the mark, <laughs> But if you're near the boundary, don't have an any bet shot at goal. Either put it to the top of the square or cause a stoppage. That's it. When no one's watching footy ever again, all their favourite bits are done. Oh, <laughs> kicking along to the boundary for a stoppage. Oh, that's, that's horrific, isn't that it? Just puts me to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> and so we talk the the psychology side for the Bulldogs. And if there's one pre-match you'd want to be in all year, I reckon it's this one. But. Kenny's got a way about him with his team as well. And this has been a, a long-term journey. He's been to two preliminary finals. They've lost to the two teams of the era when they got there by a kick 
or less? Is he's got a lot to use with his crew tonight? Yeah, I think both Melbourne and Port Adelaide this week were the two teams that had the psychological test because they both have got all the advantages in, in a sense. They're both fit and firing. Um, and they've both sort of had question marks on getting to a grand final for a while. So Melbourne just smashed the psychology part out of the ballpark last. They, they just were like, you know, they, they used it to their advantage. And, and Ken, I, I think he'll use, you know, all, all the, I guess, all the losses in the past. And not the best thing you can do is not even really worry about them. Like if you're Melbourne last, well, what's us not winning the flag for over 50 years got to do with me? Mm-hmm. And that's the best way to go into it. And really what happened last um, prelim finals got nothing to do with, with what's happening now. But we tend to, if we really want to get into our, in our worrisome side, of course we can worry about anything. But you just have to escape that. That is the emotional side. But what they have learned, I think, Port, from those close losses in the final was in that Richmond final that they lost Slipper, that they were really rushed late in the game. They didn't have that composure. And uh, I think it was Tom Jonas, Slipper, when we were talking to him on crunch time, said that they'd been work, you know, they'd learnt from that and working on their close game finishes. And this year they're six and zero. And you know, you were talking earlier in the show the the difference between finishing ninth or eighth just based on one win or loss. And if you think about the impact for Port Adelaide, if they don't go six and zero in terms of their close games wins this year. They're fighting for an elimination final towards the end of the season, not for a top four spot, let alone a top two. So, you know, they have learnt in terms of those finals how to close out a game, which is really important in finals. Lip. It sets us yeah. up for tonight. Um, sometimes we get one lopsided and one thriller, so we're mm-hmm. due the thriller tonight, or will it be two blowouts? We'll find out when we gather for tonight. That was all for Dometic. Always stay relaxed and hydrated wherever your adventure takes you with Dometic's rugged drinkware. At the trade side of things with Sam Edmund next, a few, well, there was the phony war and there's been some real stuff happen. We'll go through all of that next. You're listening to Crunch Time for the Western Auto Group. They welcome the all-new Jeep Compass and its off-roading capabilities at Werribee Jeep and Caroline Springs Jeep. And for Red Rooster, delicious, crunchy, new fried chicken by Red Rooster, available at selected restaurants, the Rooster's Corner. We gather after Melbourne has won its place in the 2021 Grand Final, 83-point winners over Geelong. And tonight, the billing will be completed either Port Adelaide or the Western Bulldogs to win their way through. While we talk footy, there's an event of international significance taking place at the US Open in the semi-final of the men's Novak Djokovic. Two sets all with Alexander Zverev as Djokovic looks to complete the Grand Slam and win a place in Sunday's final. He lost the first set 4-6, won the next two 6-2-6-4, but has dropped the fourth set 4-6. So some tense times ahead. It should be hard. It's always been hard. And uh, the semi-final is proving difficult for the world number one at the moment. Jared Waitley, Justin Lepich, Craig Jennings and Sam Edmund. The crunch is dedicated to the trade period. Now, when the Lockie Neal story it felt uh, broke, it felt like it had all the elements of a trade story. Maybe the most complete we'd seen in many a year including the unforeseen wicked twist. Unbelievable, wasn't it? And it was that wicked twist was delivered by the Brisbane Lions social media account, if you like, Jared, They released a video, an interview with Lockie Neal, where he reaffirmed his commitment to the Brisbane Lions. He broke his silence in that video, frenetic four or five days, and it finally ended the speculation that started on Channel 7, that report, of course, that uh, revealed that he and his wife, Jules, were considering moving back to Perth to raise their family. Their daughter's due in about four weeks, their first child. 
He'd met with Chris Fagan, the coach, Greg Swan, Danny Daly, Lockie Neal on Monday. He was hesitant in that meeting. He was indecisive. He was going. He was staying all in the same chat. He needed some time to think. In the end, it was about four days worth, and he'd made up his mind and said he would. Well, he'd honour the contract at least for next year. He's got two years to go, and I wonder if this might be one of those situations, and you do talk to player managers who say two years just makes it that that extra bit harder to extricate a player out. And we know that the Brisbane Lions have paid the majority of this contract. It's front-ended as well. So it was it was a nightmare for Chris Fagan after that straight-sex finals exit. So he stays at least for next year, and he'll play for the Brisbane Lions, Jared. Fag's last seen clicking his heels <laughs> as he walked down Stanley Street. <laughs> tell you, Wiping so, his brow, I reckon. I'll tell you one thing that's going to happen. In, in Particularly, most people in the world get this opportunity to say, yeah, I might move employment because of situations like this, and it doesn't become public, so they might take two, three weeks. It's amazing. So in three days, he got ultimate clarity, did he, on what he needed to do? Or was it three days of getting his head bashed in that he thought, I'm tired of this, I'm staying? Like, yeah. Because sometimes I think it's that. You know, you, you just you think, I just can't put, put up with this That anymore. as much as anything. I don't even get the opportunity to give me a week or two to think about this with my wife. And that's the thing that everyone is gifted in life that sports people don't get. Um, And only because a a certain piece of information was leaked out. So it is, it it comes with a lot of territory, doesn't it? Being a a public figure like that. I agree with that. I wonder what this looks like if it didn't get out and he was able to sort of calmly plot his way to Tuesday's exit meeting and what his conversation, what the starting point to that conversation would have been with the Lions it, it, mm. and where it they might have, might helped have worked too. It might have actually helped Brisbane. Such oh, was I've the got no doubt that, the firestorm yeah. helped them. Yeah. Well, having said that though, I think the advice that Lockie Neal got from his management was always around staying and fulfilling the two-year contract. You know, Brisbane would be would have been happy to accommodate a trade if he really um, tried to force it through. That would have happened. I don't think there was any doubt over that. But I think the advice Lockie Neal personally got right in the aftermath from his the people closest to him in the professional sense, the managerial space, was that you should probably stay. Don't call me the ultimate cynic, but what happened with Dane Beams a few years ago? Yeah. Didn't he say, I'm staying, I'm staying, and then right at the trade he period? Said he said it in their best and fairest speech. And then a his best and fairest week or two later yeah. left. So. No, that's too cynical for me, Lapper. That's true? No, yeah. not going to yeah. have it. He's staying? Yeah, you couldn't subject yourself to it twice over. Oh, it's it's. But sometimes if you think, well, if I just say I'm staying, there's at least two or three weeks I don't have to put up with getting my head bashed in, well, and then we can talk about it later on. I don't know. Is it a tactic now clubs have to use to bide their time? Otherwise, what else are you going to do? Cop it for a few weeks? I mean, we saw Clarko, you know, not tell exactly everything that was going because he just got sick of, you know, if I say maybe it might happen, I'm going to be asked about this every day for the next month. So I might as well just say it's not happening. At least I get a month off dealing with it. So who knows? It might be a new strategy for, for people going forward. The other cynical element is that maybe Fremantle said, look, with where we're at, we're not willing to pay the price that you would command. That could be something Ooh. as well. And then the decision was more or less made for him. That's another cynical element. Okay. I'm just tapping into your line. Of I like these hypotheticals. They're yeah. really good. So anyway, he's staying. That's the bottom line for Brisbane. Um, plenty happened late last week, though, Jared. It must be said in terms of player movement. So Jacob Hopper's not moving. He finally resigned for two years on Thursday. That was always going to happen. But Jake Kelly's told Adelaide he wants to leave as an unrestricted free agent. He told Matthew Nix late yesterday. North Melbourne had knocked on the door and made some inquiries there, but Essendon is his preference. So the free agency window opens on the Friday after the grand final. That's October one, and I think we'll see pretty swiftly Jake Kelly join the Bombers. You know. Hooker's retired, Ambrose is retired, Hurley's got his health concerns, and he will reinforce Ben Rutten's back line, which which I don't know about you guys, probably means you could almost 
start thinking about Daniel Talia at Richmond, couldn't you? I know they're different players, Kelly and Talia. The former can play on the smalls, I suppose. With Asprey retiring there, Hooley's a different player, but I guess it's experience out the door as well in the back half. Talia's 29, best and first winner, 200 games. He'd be a nice fit at punt rate, I reckon. What do you think of the, the Kelly move? Yeah, oh, it's good. I think it's great for us. I mean, nothing's done and dusted yet. But, um, yeah, I think he's the sort of player that they need as well. It's probably good for him as well, probably the stage of his career where he's looking to make a bit of a change. Uh, the Daniel Talia one's an interesting one. Mm. Probably with Asprey leaving, I agree, probably does open up a spot for them. But whether they think Noah Bolter's the man also with Grimes and what they currently got, who knows? Because um, if you're bringing in a guy like Talia, you want to play them every week, given he's still only 29. If it's like a Josh Jenkins and they're 30, like much older, and you, you come in as a fill-in, that's fine. But, um, yeah, it's just with a Richmond fielder, he's got the full-time mm. position there. Jordan Dawson? Well, the good vibes out of Luke Parker's re-signing, they were washed away by this news, and that is that Jordan Dawson has requested a trade home to South Australia. The Swans confirming this uh, yesterday. Now, my understanding, Jared, is he's destined for Port Adelaide. So I think that's where he wants to play, and the feeling's mutual. So 12 months after Aaliyah Aaliyah leaves Sydney for the power, I think history is about to repeat here with Jordan Dawson. Now, the power would have to part with pick 17, obviously, as a minimum as part of any deal here. What a steal! That's their first pick, and their next pick isn't until 60. So... There's going to be Dawson for 17. Shut the door on that immediately. There's going to be some massaging done here, given 24 years of age, entrenched in that Sydney lineup, particularly over the last two years. He's a brilliant kick. He's versatile. Um, It's amazing how it's come to be, actually, because in in on. Uh, early July, he joined us on SEN. He said, Sydney supporters got nothing to worry about. I'm working things out here. So clearly he's either changed his mind or the offer that's come back his way from Sydney's gone as far as it's gone, and he's not happy with that. So he finished third in this year's Best and Fairest as well. He's played defence. He's played wing 64 games since his debut four years ago now. So he is ready to take flight if he hasn't already. We'd love to get him oh, in the door. Oh, well, and if they get him for seven and you do that every day of the week, because really that might be pick 22 or something potentially in this year's draft. So, um, yeah, if you look at history, the people around that bracket are ready-made player. Oof, that's a big win. Compliments what Fremantle have already got too. They'll become... Um, Port. Port. Uh, Port, he's going to Port, yep. yeah. So even better for them. I mean, mm. we're talking about them, um, you know, looking towards a grand final tonight. So he's an asset for any footy club. So it's going to be a lot more than 17. But the thing about Sydney that I was thinking is uh, they're pretty seamless. So they lose a Lear, but they don't lose anything in terms of their um, performance this year. So they just seem to have this wave of young players that are really well trained up and ready to come into their, into their senior team. So um, they'll find a way. There is an interesting aspect to them, though, is they're building something and you can see it. So they keep Parker. And I mm. think they had to keep Parker. Like there are some stalwarts mm. I think that you can't have leave. And, and he's a cost? co-captain. Yeah. He's a three-time best and fairest. Like that, he's a fabric player for a me. Pillar. Yeah. But is if you, if you, if one of the old costs you one of the young and your fusion, you never quite get like, we're waiting to see what they will develop into. And they've just lost a piece and if they were to lose another piece, you sort of wonder, will it come to full fruition as as a group? This is separate again. Is it just? Is this just not because they couldn't keep him? It's just he wanted to go home though, isn't it? Well, we don't, no, categorically. It might, okay. They might be intertwined. 
They might be intertwined. I don't know what the offer was from Sydney to Jordan Dawson and whether he found that satisfactory. I'm only going on his comments earlier this year where he'd stated that he really wanted to stay and it was getting worked out. So we don't know what's happened in the in the weeks and months since, but we know the salary squeeze at Sydney. We've spoken about that a lot. George Hewitt's going to join Carlton. Uh, Dylan Stevens is up for grabs as a number five pick only a couple of years ago. And whether they're going to be shattered to lose Dylan Stevens is another topic of conversation. But Sam Reid, Matthew Ling, Callum Sinclair, McLean, Ronke, go on and on. Wicks, Fox, they've got a number of those players that are out of contract that they need to tidy up, Jared. I think with Sydney too, their model, like they really pass on that culture, you know, that blood stuff from way back when Ruzi was coaching. It's been so seamless. And you think about Kirk and then McVeigh and Parker's in, in that mould as well where they just have so much knowledge of what it takes to be a successful organisation and an elite player. And so I think he does offer the value by um, holding on to him as long as you possibly can for all those young players of Sydney coming through. And some of those younger generation players, Mills, back-ended contract coming towards the end of that as well. Isaac Heaney's a bit the same. Hey, Tom Mitchell's going to be a real interesting watch as the trade period comes out. And it might be a case of Lockie Neal off the table and Tom Mitchell on. I think he's far from certain to stay at Hawthorne. I think he's actually relatively keen to move on. Brisbane might have even been the logical option here before the door slammed shut there just days after it opened. So watch this space on Tom Mitchell. Jack Gunston's a little bit the same. I think of the two, he's more inclined to stay put. John Segler's contracted as well for one more as the Ruckman, but there's going to be a real Ruck merry-go-round this year again, I think. The dogs are in the market for one. They're shopping a pure Ruckman, so not someone like a Callum Coleman-Jones or a Marby or Chole. I think Segler would fit the bill. Um, Darcy Ford, Kieran Briggs the same, Matt Flynn at GWS, Sam Hayes is contracted for two more at Port Adelaide, but could be prized out. So the dogs are looking. And while we speak about the salary squeeze at Sydney, West Coast have got their own issues at the moment. There's some, there's some low-balling going on over there at the moment, Jared. So Jack Redden won year and a, and a pay cut's been offered to him. Nathan Vardy's offer was so low he preferred to take a, a, a job offer over in Warrnambool here in Victoria attached to football as well so he's He's felt the right time for him to move on. Um, Hutchings and Archie have been moved on. Jared Brand is still waiting to learn of his fate at West Coast as well. Now, Geelong, I believe, have an ongoing interest here in Jared Brand. He was a boarder at Geelong Grammar before being drafted high, and I'm told there's an ongoing interest there. The Cats think they can turn him into something special. Josh Rotham doesn't have a deal, and Josh Kennedy's deciding what to do as well, even if he wants a deal at the age of 33, and Shannon Hearn needs to be re-signed as well. So they've got plenty to work through West Coast. The Adam Chera scenario, so you'd flagged Melbourne's interest and that really was flushed out during the week. Yeah, it was. They did get in front of him and they presented and it was a really attractive presentation as well, I'm told, Jared. So he likes Melbourne. He likes Carlton too. The situation hasn't changed though. Carlton's still front runners because they tick the two boxes that needs to needs to happen for the trade to happen. That is the pay and the fact they've got that first round pick, that high pick that would satisfy Fremantle as the centrepiece of any trade. Melbourne don't have that. So what would Melbourne possibly offer? And that 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 remains a stumbling block at the moment. Given Premierships. They're not they're not giving up they're not giving up anything at the moment that's going to satisfy Fremantle in a trade. Like Luke Jackson. Forget so was about that it. what was yeah. that real? The yeah. Dockers. I, said, I, okay, I don't we'll know if Luke that Jackson. was real. That was what was reported. That yeah. Fremantle said, "Well, fine, you hand over Luke Jackson." Whether that was a an early shot across the bow in terms of it just back off because we know you're not fair dinkum, but. Clearly the player, if Melbourne come to the party with something that would appeal to the Dockers, then the player has a, a serious decision to make. Not sure it'll get to that, though. Yeah, all the interesting stuff to come. Mm. And it will probably all change again in a week. That's exactly. the funny part about it. So, um, yeah, good luck with that one, Sam. <laughs> it's, so it is, it's becoming more active, isn't it? There's the idea that not much would happen. Uh, well, if you're after your big fish, 
then then I think you might be disappointed. But uh, the, the big fish is in the eye of the beholder. The player's reputation has a has a, a, a curious habit of growing during the trade period when they are up for grabs, Jared. So yeah, I think you're right. As more seasons end, more campaigns come to an end, more exit meetings happen and more pressure comes to bear on the salary cap and the TPP that shrunk, then, yeah, we might get a few that, that slip out that are going to look, be looking for homes. Do you think um, with the fact that the soft cap's not increasing, in, uh, sorry, the salary cap's not really increasing all that much and teams are almost anticipated it would, so they've done a lot of work anticipating a rise and now they're thinking, oh, we have to mm. hold back. So it's hard to offer you know, a lot of money to, to bring guys in or a lot of things if you don't have anything, if, you, if you're really just in a shoring up mode as far as your finances go. Do you think there's a lot of clubs just in that shoring up mode where they, oh, can't, they can't really spend a lot and go, here's an extra 300000 to come to us? They're actually busy trying to bail water out of the boat yeah. as, a, as opposed to going fishing at the moment, a lot of them. And there, there are exceptions to the rule. There's going to be a play lock. For example, Lock and Eel becomes available. Then, yeah, you move heaven and earth to make that happen. But I think by and large... It will be pretty quiet still, but we hope there's uh, enough intrigue in, in the mix, Jared. And do you think the virtual world has stymied some of it a little bit? As when everyone meets face-to-face, maybe a little bit more business gets explored. Spot on. Uh, the days of the, the list manager catching up with the player manager over coffee, breakfast, a meal or whatever, It's we do business and then what else is happening? And, and things tend to fall out, whereas at the moment, the Zoom, the WebEx, the, they're, they're very transactional exchanges and it's we get on we do our business and then we go on to the next one so maybe it's it's less organic than perhaps what it was in recent times which hurts people like me Jerry, because we like to know what's going on <laughs> very good so the trade space uh, it's highly unlikely to be static i feel like the week the bye week is if there is stuff to fall yeah. out as then from wednesday onwards there'll i think feel like there'll be a void between wednesday to wednesday and uh, clubs might get really imaginative and active in that uh, in that time. And the dogs are still going, and they've got they're as intriguing as anyone, aren't they? With Pat Lipinski, who has been linked to Carlton repeatedly, but the Blues don't have an ongoing interest there. So you can forget Pat Lipinski going to Carlton just while I, we talk about him. I think Collingwood uh, have been rumoured for a long time as well, and Hawthorne have a link to him also. So Sydney's been mentioned in dispatches, but I can't see that happening. And then Mitch Wallace. The father-son links, the vice-captain, he's got a real decision to make, doesn't he, in terms of where he wants to play his football. What remains on crunch time is to give a rev up. So we might put our two coaching minds in here. Maybe we rev somebody up in tonight's game. Have a little think, Justin Leppich and Craig Jennings. You're listening to Crunch Time for the Western Auto Group. The future of compact SUVs has finally arrived at Caroline Springs Jeep and Western Jeep. And for Red Rooster's new crunchy fried chicken, it's available at selected restaurants. Who needs a rever for Harley Heaven? The Harley Davidson Pan America is coming to Harley Heaven in Melbourne, Dandenong and Ringwood. Visit harleyheaven.com.au for details. So a rev up from each member of our Crunch Time panel, I think, in a special preliminary final edition for Harley Heaven, still your home of Harley Davidson during lockdown, harleyheaven.com.au. Leper, I think you should give the first rev up. What direction do you want to head? Oh, I'm, I'm going to go nuclear. I'm going to Bevo. Mm-hmm. I, I want him to go another level again. I want him to go from the man he is now to the the most savage beast you've ever seen to get this team over the line. I want him to think about the quarantine in Brisbane and the three floors they had to live on and not somehow for some crazy reason have to, you know, go between floors 12, 13 and 14 but couldn't touch the bottom nine to get to their room and then you have to get the flight and then the all the other quarantine issues they had, not being able to train. And I wanted to sort of pull all that together and just give himself the biggest – I want him to go Sheeds. I want him to go Dermy Brereton through the huddle, the whole lot tonight. 
Churchillian. Oh, yeah. I want him to get that way. That's lovely. <laughs> Rev up for you, Jeno. Well, I was going to go with a serious one. I'm excited about Caleb Daniel. You know, for a couple of years, we've just absolutely loved him on a Thursday, Jared. But on that theme, maybe someone like Koshi or Chad Corns is the runner. He loves getting his shirt off. So just celebrate in the right way. And uh, even Kane Corns with his commentary tonight. I just love the Port Adelaide passion. So whatever that level is, Lepa, let's take it the next one. Sam? SA Health, Jared. Well done. Professor Nicholas Sperrier needs a massive rev up. So the dogs are just dumbfounded by this. They've flown across from uh, Perth to Adelaide on Friday. Their request for a light training session at the Adelaide Oval denied. They get a little lunchtime walk today, Jared. That's the first time they're allowed out, just hours before the match. But I would like Nicholas Sperrier to go along. Put a Port Adelaide scarf on. You don't have to touch the ball, Professor, because I know you're big on that. They're not playing the Brisbane Bullets. They are playing the Western Bulldogs. Get along and support your local team, please. Put your scarf above your head for yes. NXS and actually get live a bit of footy culture. I like that. Uh, I'm going to rev the AFL up. First, I want to acknowledge that they're about to land a season. Great job. But there are a few wrinkles here. The buy ahead of the grand final makes zero sense. In fact, it is the biggest gamble I've seen in my time watching football. Imagine what would happen on September 21 if, and I won't even complete that sentence, but imagine if we sat idly by for a weekend and then got hit with it. Bang. Oh, couldn't have just played that quick. The the idea that the grand final parade can't go ahead because of a terror threat? What's that? What? Where where did that come from? I found that odd. But really, my big rev up is the idea of moving Port Adelaide to Perth, which was explained by Travis Old, a week ahead of the grand final to build the atmosphere in Perth and to put teams in front of the community to connect them with people to get the full build up. No, 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 no. Their people are in South Australia. That's where the build up happens. The last training session at Alberton on the Thursday, that's putting them in front of their people, not transplanting them to Perth in front of an audience that maybe is a bit apathetic towards Port Adelaide. I don't see them walking around the streets with their port scarves above their head in Perth. Leave them at home. Let them get the full build up and then move them across at the last moment. So Some of what's been said is just, but do you actually... Can you remember where this team is from? They're okay. That board is open. Is that a triple rev up, Lepa? I think he wins, Jerry. That's got me. I'm convinced now. I'm with you. Lepa, Geno, Sam, thank you. Good crunching at tonight. The call. I'll be back with you then. Crunch time for the Western Auto Group. Elevate your adventures with the new Jeep Compass. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.